Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. On this first day of Pesach, we're reading from the book of Exodus, and I want to enlarge our reading to cover several passages from Exodus, and I wanna look at seven things that God proved during Passover. I I think you'll find them interesting. And um, let's start by opening up to Exodus chapter six, verse five, and we'll get to there. But I I wanna assert this, that the first thing that God proved is that he has exclusive spiritual authority over Israel. God called Israel to serve him. Do you remember the words that God gave to Moses uh, when he sent Moses to Pharaoh? Let my people go so they can worship me. But the, the Hebrew is larger than worship if you have a narrow view of worship. It's so that they can serve me. And the idea was this, that Pharaoh thought he had authority over the children of Israel. And he thought that his gods had authority. Pharaoh even thought that he was one of the gods incarnate. And the Lord sent Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can serve me. To which Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who does he think he is? Well, it turned out the Lord thought he was boss. (laughs) So God calls us to serve him and only him, and he declares that he is God Almighty. Let's declare that together. God is God Almighty. He's Almighty God. He's all-powerful God. And those things that he sets out to do, he accomplishes. Not a single word proceeds from his mouth that doesn't uh, get fulfilled. He accomplishes what he sets out to do. And so the first thing we can say is God proved to us that he has exclusive spiritual authority over Israel. Now this can be really helpful to you if you recognize you're in a spiritual battle. How many people know if you're alive, you're in a spiritual battle? But you have to know this, you can resist the enemy and he will flee, that's right. One of the ways you resist the enemy is not by telling the enemy how bad he is, but by declaring how faithful God is. So the second thing that God proved is that he keeps covenant with Israel even during times of difficulty and sorrow. He doesn't forget us during times of trouble. So let's turn, if you haven't already, to Exodus chapter six, verse five. The Lord says this, I have heard the groaning and the crying of the children of Israel, when, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage and slavery, and I have remembered my covenant. The Lord proves that he keeps covenant with Israel. Even when Israel is going through difficulty 
and going through times of sorrow. He doesn't forget us during times of trouble. You know what? He looks for us to cry out to him, to depend on him. Now you can cry wow wow tears all you want. You can complain to people everywhere, but that is not the same as calling out to God and crying out to God. When you cry out to God in your troubles, he responds. When you're crying out to him because you're looking for him to rescue you, to save you and to deliver you, he hears you and he wants us to remember him during good times and bad times. Remember God during the good times. Anybody going through good times? Hallelujah, some of us. I'm not ashamed. You know, some people get so used to being like. (sighs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Times can be tough. They really can. But they're not always tough. There's always a battle. But God is with us through good times and through challenging times. Don't forget that. And the Lord proved to Israel that he keeps covenant even during times of difficulty and sorrow. Remember this because sometimes when we're going through challenges, we forget God is still with us. We forget he's there. What does it mean for God to be a shield? It means he's there to protect you in a battle. Now, you don't need a shield if there's no threat. Is that correct? Has anybody experienced any difficulties in the last, uh, I don't know, seven minutes? No. Uh, (laughs) In the last few months. Yeah. But some of you are still smiling. I don't get it. Maybe I do. You see, God can be with you in times of difficulty. We can mourn during times of loss, for instance, but we still receive comfort from the Lord. We still have hope. We are not giving in to despair simply because times are challenging. We're holding on to God because we know he holds on to us even in times of difficulty. A third thing that God proved at Passover, he proved he's a redeemer. And redeeming is an important idea. It it means to purchase out of slavery, to pay a price so that someone who is in bondage is liberated and made free. He purchased us out of slavery from the Egyptians and out of spiritual slavery. He heard our cries and he hears our cries. He pays the price for our redemption. Now what's our part? Our part is not to redeem ourselves, our part is to trust him and to obey him. In fact, to trust God is connected to obeying God. If you separate them and you think there is a kind of thing called faith that's not connected to trusting and obeying God, then you've got a notion that is not really found in the scriptures. Scripture connects faith with trust with obedience. They all go together. Now God's part 
is to redeem us. Our part is to trust him and to obey him. And so he proves he's a redeemer that he pays the price and he purchases us out of slavery. He did it when we were in Egypt and he does it for us through Messiah by purchasing us out of spiritual slavery. <laughs> Amen, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the podcast folk could hear that one. I think someone just got delivered, but I'm not sure. <laughs> That was delightful. (laughs) Let's turn now to Exodus chapter 12. This is the chapter we're reading on Pesach. I'll read to you two verses, Exodus 12, verses 12 and 13. This is what the Lord says. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. That goes back to our first point. I am the Lord. Now the blood, what blood? The blood of the lamb. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is very, very powerful statement. When we think of the word Passover in English, sometimes we get the idea of skipping something, to ignore it. But this is the exact opposite. This is describing God's active personal attention and protection. His passing over is connected to the word Pesach, which means to hop or to bound or to leap like a lamb does when it's running through a field. If you haven't seen one of the videos on uh, bouncing lambs, um, I'll I'll post it again on Facebook uh, because it's hilarious on one hand, but it's the spiritual picture that the Lord is giving that he would, he would bounce through the land at truly supersonic speed. Yeah, I figured last night it was, uh, he visited more than 100 houses per second. Something like that. You can talk to me later, check my math. Maybe you'll come up with something a little different but it was roughly at that speed because he went throughout the land of Egypt to every house and he went to the houses of Israel looking for the blood. And wherever he saw the blood, and this was from the the night watch until the morning, and wherever he saw the blood, he passed over. What does that mean? He bounced in front of and he forbade the angel of death from coming in and taking the firstborn. Active protection, not passive protection. And so the fourth thing we can say is that God proved that he sees if we have applied the blood of the lamb as an act of faith. 
and obedience. At Passover in Egypt and now in relationship to Yeshua. You see, the Lord promised in Exodus 12, he would go looking for the blood. And wherever he saw the blood, he would take that as a sign that the individuals who had applied that blood had faith in him and were trusting him and were looking for him to actively protect them. It was an incredible declaration that God had made. This is what I'm going to do, and you can think about it if you want. That's not what he said. He said, this is what I'm going to do, and everyone except for agnostics and atheists should... No. He said, this is what I'm going to do, therefore you need to do this. You need to do the one and only thing I'm telling you to do. Take the blood of the lamb, apply it, trust me, stay indoors. In the same way, when it came to rescuing us from the power of sin and death, the Lord said, this is what I'm gonna do. It's the one and only thing I'm going to do that is gonna purchase atonement for you, and this is what's required. Take the blood of the lamb, Yeshua, and apply it to the doorposts of your heart, your life, your family. And when I see it, I'll pass over your house too. The one and only thing. This is not optional. God is looking for faith and he's looking for faithfulness in us. And at Passover in Egypt, he told the Jewish people to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their houses and their faith was shown by their action. It's the same today, we need a Passover lamb today for our redemption, and who is that Passover lamb? Yeshua. Yeshua is the lamb, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's who he is, there's none other. I like what Romans chapter 10, verses eight and nine say. Paul, poses this question about the scriptures. What does the scripture say? He says, the word is near you, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. That is the word about trust and faith which we proclaim. Namely, this is verse nine. If you acknowledge publicly with your mouth that Yeshua is Adonai, and part two, you trust in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and delivered. Someone says that's a high bar, actually. To say Yeshua is Adonai, I remember meeting with an Orthodox rabbi who's trying to figure out Messianic Jews. Not because he wanted to become one, but he just couldn't understand how a friend of his had become part of the Messianic movement and so, we had a meal together, and this rabbi said, you know, our common friend, I can understand, you know, he was a Gentile, you know, he doesn't know better. <laughs> That's really what he said. But how could you, a Jew, say Yeshua is Messiah? And I said, it's worse than you imagine. <laughs> he's not just Messiah, he's Adonai. Oh, that really stirred it up. 
No, we have to understand, when you read this in English and you say, Jesus is Lord, you may have one idea of what that means, but when you say Yeshua is Adonai, it means something much bigger. And that's what Paul was trying to get to. When you understand Yeshua is Adonai, he is our God. When you say Yeshua is Adonai, you're declaring that he's not just a man who became a good man or a prophet or a good teacher, but he is the Lord come down from heaven who took on human form in order to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And the Messiah who becomes the Redeemer, who becomes the sacrificial lamb, the Pesach lamb who redeems us, and the Yom Kippur sacrifice who pays for all of our sin, for all sin. God does this for us because we could never do it ourselves. We could never provide an adequate sacrifice for ourselves. The Lord does that, and when we declare Yeshua is Adonai, say that with me, Yeshua is Adonai. Get that clear in your head. Don't waffle on that. Don't try to make it soft. Make it clear. Make it understandable. Why do you believe Yeshua is Adonai? Share that with others. Be clear about the reason you have hope and what you understand. So when you publicly acknowledge that with your mouth, another way of saying it is this, when you tell other people this, Yeshua is not an eye. When you say it out loud, at least tell yourself and some other people, Yeshua is not an eye. Get that clear. Be clear for yourself. Don't waffle on it. Don't hedge. Don't say, well, he may be. Because if he may be, you haven't made a decision yet. And then it's like thinking about Passover and the lamb's blood. Thinking about putting it on the doorpost, but not doing it. Even having a positive attitude. Well, that's a nice lamb. It might be a good idea to put the lamb's blood. We'll see if it really works. That is not faith. That is not trust. That is not obedience. That's simply having an abstract positive attitude about something. It's not enough to speak publicly, to tell others Yeshua's out or not. And the second part is so important, to trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Again, it's not enough to say, well, he may have. Or even as many people like to say, well, it was just a spiritual resurrection. That's not what the Bible teaches us. It was a physical resurrection. Do you remember Thomas? <laughs> he said, listen, if it's not physical, I can't do this. I got to touch him. And Yeshua said, come on, put your hand in there. Gross. <laughs> but that's what he needed. That's what he needed. Sometimes your faith is mixed with outrageous need. Trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead raised him from the dead. He was dead in his physical body. Only his physical body. You can't kill the spirit of God that was alive in that physical body. 
And this was a demonstration of something for us. Not only is Yeshua the, the sacrifice and the basis of atonement, but he is the promise of eternal life. Because he was raised from the dead, you can be confident that you also will be. And if you don't have that confidence, you know what the apostles say? You're to be pitied. You don't have the assurance that God wants you to have, that confidence that he wants you to have. If you think you're just gonna be raised in a spiritual way, then you're not like the apostle Paul, who declared he was a Pharisee on these matters, meaning he believed in a physical resurrection. Do you remember when there was that big argument in the temple when Paul visited, and everything got crazy there. And Paul took advantage of it. Because <laughs> remember, there were, you know, like I, I heard in the Sanhedrin, there were like one-third Pharisees, two-thirds Sadducees. And so there's this big stir about Paul. A lot of confusion about him, a lot of controversy. And he gets up and he says, hey, this is because I'm a Pharisee and believe in the resurrection. Yeah, and all the Pharisees is, yeah, he's our boy. We're with him. It changed the tide in some way. You see, God's looking for faith. He's, he's looking for symptoms. You need to test positive for faith in the resurrection of Messiah. You need to have it so clear that you can declare it to other people. And to some people it will sound like foolishness. So you should know that to begin with. So? Fifth thing that God proved, he proved he has authority over Egypt. He had the authority to force Pharaoh to let God's people go. And through this, God wants us to know something, that he can rescue us from our enemies. He has the authority to command our enemies to let go. Now what we have to do is go out to serve him. That's the key to go out on God's terms for God's purposes and to do what God says. Serve me. Now if you wanna be free so that you can uh, have the license to do whatever your carnal nature might want to do, then you're not free indeed. You're not free to serve the Lord. The Lord won't honor that effort at freedom because it's not true freedom. Freedom means much more than forgiveness, it includes forgiveness. But some people abuse the freedom of God because they say, I can go and sin and God will forgive me. Therefore, I can sin as much as I want and God will forgive me. And that is a distortion. The, the, the sin that we find ourselves in, that encumbers us, should not be what we're choosing to do. The grace that God has for us includes the grace to seek the Lord, to hear the word of the Lord, to hear and to be led by the Holy Spirit so that we move away from 
the temptations and the sins connected to those temptations. It is not a sin to be tempted, but it is a sin to go after the things that you want so that you will be tempted when those things are ungodly. But God makes clear to us he will always save a remnant. And think about this, Pharaoh is gone. They're still in Egypt, but Pharaoh is gone. Israel is alive. Think about this also, Hitler is gone, but the Jewish people are alive. God is faithful to preserve a remnant. Now you'll notice these are not in order, they're all connected to each other. The sixth thing that God proved is that he has authority over the gods of Egypt and he judged them with the 10 plagues. There are spiritual forces that hate the Jewish people and want to destroy us. And at Passover, we remember that our God is stronger than all other spiritual forces. Anti-Semitism is rising up in many ways in many places with great force. But that doesn't mean we should be terrified. That means we should be bold. That means we should be strong, we should pray, we should be clear. We should take strong positions of advocacy for the Jewish people and not be afraid. It doesn't mean that because there's a rise in anti-Semitism, we should shrink and try to hide and try to disappear. No, God judged the gods of Egypt with 10 plagues. It took 10 plagues to judge those gods. The seventh point I wanna emphasize is God proved that he raises the dead. He raises the dead by resurrecting Yeshua during Passover and showing Yeshua is Messiah and Redeemer of Israel. Now I wanna, I wanna take a stretch here and go further back than Exodus. I wanna go back to Genesis and I wanna ask you, how is it that Israel ended up in Egypt? Think about it. Joseph. Do you remember what Joseph's father said when he heard the news about Joseph? He said he was dead, but now he's alive. It was resurrection life for him. For Jacob, this was a sign of resurrection. My son was dead. Now he's alive. They went down to Egypt with confidence that God would preserve them even through the famine and through the challenges that were ahead and through the prophetic word about Israel being in that foreign land for 400 years. They went down with confidence that God was doing a work of preservation and that he would raise Israel up. But I can imagine that there was a time when the little children were being slaughtered by Pharaoh's order. When people would think, where is God? Why are we here? We'll never make it out of this land alive. I can imagine when people were, were breaking their backs under the cruel uh, taskmasters of Egypt, 
who had enslaved the children of Israel, that, that many were saying, we are not going to make it. We're gonna die here. Maybe you've had that feeling at some point in your life. I'm not gonna make it. It's too hard. Well, let me tell you this. You are making it. You have made it. If you're here listening, you made it. You made it already. You made it through. The Passover connection with Yeshua and his resurrection, I believe goes all the way back to Joseph. But you know what? It goes back even further to Abraham and Sarah because their bodies were as good as dead and yet they were able to bring forth the child of the covenant. And you see this theme of resurrection life, bringing life up from the dead. No wonder it was on Pesach that Messiah would not only die, but be raised from the dead. No wonder it's the perfect holiday for resurrection life. Remember what happened when Israel left Egypt? right after Passover, headed towards the Red Sea. What a bad move. No, it was a perfect move because it connected to something. God wanted Israel to be trapped in a certain way in order to give a definitive blow to the enemy so that Israel would learn once and for all that the enemy can't come after you relentlessly and get a hold of you and drag you back into slavery. If God has delivered you and you go on with God, you'll be safe. But you have to go on with God. If you go back, it's on you. But God opened up the Red Sea, he brought the children of Israel through the waters. And in the same way, God opened up the grave and he brought Yeshua up from the dead and then up to heaven and he demonstrates he's able to save us. If you're wondering, can God save me? Remember the Red Sea. Remember Yeshua being buried. Remember angels coming and rolling the stone. Remember Yeshua coming back and people seeing him, hundreds of people at certain times seeing him together. At Passover, we remember that God has the power to raise the dead. He can raise us out of slavery. He can raise us physically. He can raise us out of the power, from the control of the power of sin and death. And he reminds us of Passover, we need his salvation. We can't save ourselves. If you're sitting next to someone you like, smile and say, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. You cannot save yourself. But God can save you. Yeah, pat her on the shoulder, on the back, say, God can save you. God can save you. God can, God will, God does. It's not only a past tense. It's not only God has saved me. It's not only God will save me, it's God is saving me. We'll keep all these things in mind 
about what God proves to us at Passover so that you can use Passover for your life today and for the life of your family so that you can continue to enjoy Pesach and celebrate Pesach and you can discover and pass on faith for the next generations. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your awesome love. Thank you for Yeshua in whom all the promises of God are yea and amen. Thank you for resurrection life. We don't have to just cope. We have new life, we're new creatures because of Messiah Yeshua. And thank you that you raised him from the dead and you raise us also. In Yeshua's name we pray, amen. Well, we're gonna close with Aaron's blessing. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace, the Passover Lamb. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, Chag Pesach Sameach.